This is Car Expert. Mustang Marky. It will do well for the brand as an image builder as they transition to a, a wider range of electrified models. The days of Skoda being an absolute bargain brand are probably behind it, I think. These days they talk more about value than they do about price. It is relatively undertuned in the Z, so I can see people buying that car and easily getting an extra 100 horsepower out of it. Hello, James Wong. Hello, Mandy Turner. <laughs> And I love the energy. Hello, William Stopford. Hello. Uh, now, J-Wo, you did some pretty exciting things on the weekend. You got a chance to drive the Cupra 4 Mentor, which I think Scully spoke about last week. How did you find yes. it? Oh, it was so much fun. So I've been itching to drive the new Cupras for a while. I've, I've been a fan of the Seat and Cooper brands for ages as an automotive journalist, being able to report on the European market and finally seeing them in Australia's particularly exciting because they actually come from the same region of Spain that my mum's family is from. So when I went on my trip recently, I saw them everywhere and I was like, I want to drive one, I want to drive one. Um, And so, yeah, I'm reviewing the Cooper 4 Mentor um, VZX uh, and I drove it over the weekend. I took it for a particularly nice run through Hillsville and the Victorian Hills out in that direction um, yesterday and I was very, very impressed for a crossover to handle um, the way it did. Um, I had quite a lot of fun and I really want to buy one now. (laughs) (laughs) Do they come in green? Yes. That's the best part. (laughs) They actually... Yeah, it's a color called dark camouflage. It's a metallic color, um, and it's got oh. like a like a foresty, watery, bottly green. To I actually haven't seen it in person, but I've had to go searching through the Google images um, for it, and it's got an in- quite an interesting sheen to it. So I'm excited to see one in person. Hopefully, there's a car on press fleet with that color because the Ateca and the Formenta both come in that color. See, I had a very different SUV experience over the weekend, but mine was actually green, although it was such a dark green that most people just thought it was black until the light hit it just right. And that was the 2023 Hyundai Palisade, which obviously oh, not as cool. fun to drive as a Cooper Formentor, but in top spec Highlander trim with the diesel, mm. it was very fun to haul, haul my family members around in. It had the black interior, which is a crying shame. Um, and Hyundai still has that weird... Is it supposed to be wood trim um, in, mm. in the Palisade? Uh, but otherwise, look, the Palisade, oh, I'm sounding like Tony here. <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> it's probably the best packaged car in its class. It's got possibly the nicest interior in that segment. It's mm. spacious. It's absolutely loaded with kit. Um, it's, a, it's a very good car. What did your family think? They loved it, um, especially because mine didn't have the second row bench. It had the second row captain's chairs, uh, which are heated and ventilated and can also recline. Whoa. So everybody that got in was just absolutely loved it. The dual sunroofs um, it, it, it gave me a chance to show some people who I hadn't seen already the uh, remote smart parking assist, which is um, on the Palisade that's previously been on Sorrento and Santa Fe, et cetera. So it's... It's loaded with kit. There's actually a couple of features from memory that it's missing that are available in the US, which is a bit of a shame. But also it is mm, uh, the first Hyundai in Australia with uh, the new Blue Link suite. So I actually downloaded the Blue Link app and and registered the car and I need to unregister it because technically I could still (laughs) unlock it right now and and turn on the lights and whatnot. Um, But, um, yeah, it's very interesting to finally see that kind of technology here on a vehicle without a Tesla badge because um, mm. I know those that kind of app connectivity has been around in other markets for quite some time, um, but we've yeah. been a bit slow to get it here. But now Hyundai's got uh, Blue Link, it's rolling out with all its new models and updates of existing models. Kia is rolling out Kia Connect, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, now, for anyone who hasn't caught up on what's been happening with BYD and some news this week, Will, uh, what has been happening? Well, so this is this is a bit of an interesting one. So I, I'm on a few uh, BYD owners groups, uh, but basically, I've never come across a community of people who are, are such passionate early adopters. Um, BYD, obviously, they didn't just pop up overnight, but they've kind of popped up overnight here, to be honest. Um, they're they're an established Chinese brand, but they're they're finally coming to the Australian market with an SUV, the Addo Three. 
And people who have been interested in buying that car have been so switched on, um, very engaged um, on Facebook groups, sharing updates with everybody, um, talking about their orders, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's probably not the kind of community that you want to uh, get offside. And unfortunately, BYD uh, seems to have done that uh, because they announced their servicing and warranty information. Now, I should preface that by saying that a lot of people have placed orders for Auto 3s sight unseen, haven't had a chance to test drive it, let alone sit in the car, but they believe this is going to be a great value, small um, electric SUV. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people are not happy on these groups um, about the warranty and about the servicing prices. So the servicing prices, uh, so if you look on caractpet.com.au, I've, I've run an article listing the servicing prices and the breakdown of the warranty. But suffice it to say, servicing is a little bit more expensive than people realized. In fact, I think that's one of the one of the key reasons a lot of people look at EVs is because they think, well, there's, there's less to service, so therefore it'll be cheaper to service, it'll be cheaper to run, yay, win-win. Um, but this doesn't actually seem to be much cheaper to service than a lot of petrol cars, let alone other EVs. The warranty also has got some kind of, I want to say strange stipulations. So, for example, the electric motor um, as, is warranted for eight years or 150,000 kilometers, um, but things like the lights uh, are warranted for only four years or 100,000 kilometers. The infotainment system is covered by a three-year warranty. So instead of just having like the standard, here's the warranty for the overall car and maybe a separate warranty for the battery, um, there's a lot of strange exceptions, which is also puzzling because over in New Zealand, it's that's not the case. Uh, so unfortunately for BYD and for EV Direct, their local distributor, I've noticed people have been cancelling left, right and centre and the number of people that have actually been defending um, these servicing prices and warranties or, or even just saying that they're going to stick with their existing order uh, are very, 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 very few. So my understanding is... Uh, BYD EV Direct rather has been inundated with complaints. There's an e-petition out there as well. Um, so a, a lot of passionate people who are, who are very upset. Um, now, BYD appears to be um, contacting people to say, hey, they, they will be announcing things soon. So who knows when when this is published, maybe maybe the, the story might have changed a little bit there. Uh, but fundamentally, I've, I've just not seen... Um, such a significant backlash um, in, in recent history. Um, I actually had the chance to sit in an Auto 3 recently at, at Indrapilly Auto Mall. Um, and while I didn't get a chance to drive it, you know, it's, it seems to be a pretty well-packaged car with some very strange interior styling, but, you know, fundamentally <laughs> uh, well-packaged, you know, good price for an EV. Um, and a lot of people were willing to put down deposits for these vehicles without even having test, test, test driven it. So let's see if if um, EV Direct, BYD, Eagers, you know, that all, all these entities can come together to to potentially change warranty or servicing prices because yeah, there's a lot of people out there that, that are not happy. Um, is Australia the only country that's been doing this this warranty thing with BYD? Like you said, New um, Zealand doesn't have it. What about the likes of US and? Uh, so they're not they're not in the US. I mean, there's there's really no Chinese brands in the US. Just for really, um, <laughs> the, the climate isn't conducive to Chinese. Uh, brands entering the US market. Um, BYD is entering the European market. They just recently announced that. Um, now, I can't recall what their warranty is there, but I, I don't recall it having all these little exceptions here. So, um, if, you, if you're listening and you do want to see um, all the um, the details of the warranty and the servicing prices, um, just head to carexpert.com.au and, and check out my article. Jack, quick hello. Hey there, Mandy. How are you? I am fabulous, thank you. We're going to be talking about this week's car news with you once again, the Toyota Tundra Hybrid. It's coming here. Yay. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's coming here, but it doesn't sound as good as what you think. It's 
kind of like how I would say almost a, a start. It's it's a start. So um, Toyota is um, bringing over uh, some Tundra's prototypes um, as part of a, an extensive program uh, to re-engineer uh, the Tundra from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. Um, it's doing this uh, in partnership with uh, Walkinshaw, which obviously you might have heard of before, and also uh, re-engineers the, the Chevy Silverado and the Ram 1500 pickups from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. So they're well-versed on this kind of technology and how to perfect it in a way. Um, so this Tundra that's coming to Oz is kind of part of a big test program and um, it's going to be sharing a lot of components um, with the, the Land Cruiser 300 series, which the, it's a, a lot of it's based off. And um, so there are prototypes that are going to be hitting Australia um, from September, so next month. So if you keep an eye out, you might be able to see some um, on the streets. And then uh, later on in the year, there are going to be some, I think, 300 or something more coming uh, I just said that number. I can't quite remember. Off the um, coming the fourth quarter of the year, so keep an eye out. As I said, and you might see one. And um, so that, as I alluded to at the start, there's no confirmation on when uh, this Tundra, uh, the big pickup from Toyota in the US, is going to be going on sale in Australia. Yet we just know that they're doing some testing of a right-hand drive converted model. Uh, prototype in Australia. So it's quite cool to be seeing. And all of these um, prototypes are going to be in Australia. Um, so all of the prototypes, the Tundra prototypes that are coming to Australia are going to be powered by a 3.5 litre a hybrid V6, um, which produces uh, 326 kilowatts and a crazy 790 newton metres of torque. Um, it's worth mentioning that the, the non-hybrid version of this is um, currently available in the Land Cruiser 300 series, but it's rumoured to be coming. So we could be seeing this kind of technology in an Australian Land Cruiser very soon. And um, I want to know, guys, if it goes on sale, will it be a hit? I think it will, um, absolutely, because we've seen this this growing demand for this uh, class of American full-size pickup truck. And not only is this a, an American engineered full-size pickup truck with very American styling. It's got a Toyota badge on it. Um, that they've contracted Walkinshaw, who have been doing this thing for a, a while. And, and I think it's worth pointing out as well that, as you said, Silverado, Ram, and Tundra all being uh, re-engineered by Walkinshaw. That only leaves the Ford F-150 um, because Ford is, is using a different company to remanufacture its F-150 to right-hand drive. But fundamentally, um, I think this would be a hit. And I think there's a, there's a lot of um, people out there that want something this size and probably want something more fuel efficient than a 6.2 liter V8 Silverado. So getting this over here with a hybrid V6, I think it will hit the sweet spot for a lot of buyers. If it, um, if the now I can't remember the, the towing figures from memory. Um, that would be that would definitely be a, a big deciding factor for a lot of potential buyers. But I think the Tundra would be a hit here. Well, like Will said, there's even though these kinds of vehicles probably aren't really designed for use on Australian roads, given we're a lot smaller, like our highways and stuff. They're not necessarily designed for these massive trucks. There's obviously an appetite for them. Otherwise, companies like Toyota wouldn't be investing all this money in bringing cars over and re-engineering them. Um, we've seen with uh, GM specialty vehicles as well as um, Ram and Walkinshaw, they've been doing really, really well with the current crop of uh, converted utes. Um, you know, Walkinshaw's running three shifts a day trying to produce Ram rams for the australian market and you know they're working around the clock and can't seem to get enough of them so i think what we'll see here is like will said the toyota badge will probably give some people peace of mind because you know an american truck with a ram badge necessarily isn't the um the definition of reliability at least from a perception standpoint so having something that's you know you've got a hilux reputation for reliability but you know the size and capability of an f-150 is already a selling point that might persuade some buyers and you know I'm, I can think of many people that I know that would live on farms and you know carry horse floats or big caravans or something like that with their vehicles that could really be catered to with a vehicle like this so you know there's clearly an appetite there and Toyota's just trying to cash in on the market. 
Well, another model that uh, is going to be coming to Australia for the first time is the Ford Mustang Mark E E V. Um, tell us more, Jack. Yeah, so we've been waiting a really long time for this to be announced. Um, so the Ford Mustang uh, Mark E is has been around for a long time now and it's kind of been off the cards for Australia due to a number of reasons but the the kind of catch-all was um I've got it just here a uh, lack of supply is what it was uh, dubbed as where it's been offered already in right-hand drive in the UK and I'm reading here it's been announced in New Zealand so it only makes sense now that we received like exclusive information that this is coming to Australia um, so this is supposed to be one of the five electrified Fords uh, that are coming to Australia uh, by 2024. That also consists of the Escape plug-in hybrid that we might have talked about before on the podcast, uh, as well as the e-Transit and the e-Transit custom vans, so the Mustang Marquee being the fourth. And um, when it comes to Australia, we're not exactly certain when at this stage, but it'll be before 2024. <laughs> it'll go up against uh, the Tesla Model Y and a slew of freaking whole heap of electric SUVs that are just popping up, uh, getting announced and confirmed for Australia. So it'll be very, it's a very competitive segment. And um, they're, you know, globally um, in different markets, I should say, there are two different uh, battery sizes available. And um, the flagship GT variant, which I'm going to focus on right now, uh, produces 358 kilowatts and 860 newton meters. So that's a lot for like an, a medium-sized SUV. And um, so as I mentioned, we're not exactly certain what the local lineup is going to look like yet. Um but it's a very cool SUV and something that I think about when I think of the Mustang Marquee in particular is the huge portrait screen inside the cabin and it's kind of similar uh, to the Ranger if you think about it, but it has this weird physical knob inside the screen for the volume control, which I think is super-duper cool, very unique. And um, I want to know, guys, will this be a worthy competitor to the uh, growing electric SUV segment? Uh, look, I think we're going to struggle to get decent supply of it. As we've seen with the likes of the Kia EV6 and the Hyundai Ioniq 5, there are other markets that are higher priorities for these car makers, like Europe, um, where there are emissions targets, there are uh, sales goals for EVs, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know how many Ford is going to be able to bring in, um, but I am just glad that we finally know that it's, you know, that, that we expect it will be coming here because it's something that I think Ford is probably happy to, to <laughs> that, that, that we've reported this because every single Ford um, press conference, somebody would always ask about the Mustang Marquee. Is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Um, so I think it will do well for the brand as a, an image builder um, as they transition to a, a, a wider range of electrified models. Um, but I, I don't expect us to get uh, Tesla Model Y levels of supply of it here. Is it a real Mustang, Jaywo? <laughs> it's funny you, you asked that because when this car was revealed, I was actually working at Ford and it was kind of like it's a weird oh, thing. Oh, no way. Yeah, like three years later actually finally having it confirmed because even back then they couldn't really tell me when I was working internally whether we'd see it here or not. Um, I think that... You know, Ford's obviously trying to cater to the evolving market. The Ranger sells really, really well for them and continues to do so. But, you know, there, there will come a time where the brand needs to move forward in terms of new powertrain technologies and also offering stuff that's in the global portfolio because a lot of people that are fans of the Ford brand will obviously know of models that it sells overseas. I think that's part of the reason why the F-150 is going to come here eventually and, you know, why the Mustang got engineered for right-hand drive in its current generation and there's a new one coming as well. So I think for the, for the Mac-E or Mark-E, however you want to say it, you know, it's, there's a growing market for that sort of segment, that mid-size SUV segment, particularly from an electric vehicle standpoint. If you can price it right and offer a certain amount of performance under $100,000, they'll no doubt be able to sell every single one that they get. Whether it's a real Mustang, I don't know, but, you know, it looks like one. And I think the Australian market has proven that if you make an SUV version of anything that's popular, you'll end up selling them like hotcakes. I use like the a more mainstream example like the Toyota Corolla Cross. The Corolla is already a hugely successful vehicle that in the current market is starting to wane a little bit and this new Corolla Cross is going to be 
go bananas. So I imagine with the Mustang Mach-E, the fact that it's an electric vehicle and an SUV and sort of looks like a Mustang, it'll be um, potentially a new bestseller for them. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next story, Jack, GWM have some big plans by the end of next year, which include hybrids, plug-in hybrids and EVs. Yes, Mandy, that is correct. Be prepared to see uh, more hybrids, uh, plug-in hybrids, and also electric vehicles uh, from GWM uh, coming next year. Uh, So I'm just going to kind of throw out a whole heap of cars. It's probably going to be just a little bit overwhelming, but I'm going to give James and Will a chance to kind of talk about one of their favorite ones at the end. But a few of the different cars that could be coming next year, hybrid-wise, new new emissions uh, level-wise, so I'm going to start off with the GWM Tank 500 Hybrid and also the Tank 500 FEV. And there's also going to be, uh, the could potentially be, uh, the GWM or a Good Cat EV, which was recently spied, as written by Will, uh, in Australia, in Melbourne, uh, as testing, which looked really freaking cool. It's one of my favourites. I'm looking forward to the most, if it's offered here, that is. Um, another one is the Havel H6 uh, plug-in hybrid, um, bolstering the existing uh, hybrid variant that uh, is already offered here. Could be seeing a FEV very soon. Um, additionally, we also have the, the Aura Lightning Cat, which is uh, retro-styled like the Aura brand. Um, there's a few other really strange ones, um, Volkswagen Beetle-inspired cars such as um, the ballet cat <laughs> and the, the punk cat. And then there's also um, a Toyota Kluger-sized uh, car called the Coffee Zero One. So we could be kind of seeing all of these different cars. I'm not certain if all the names are going to come over to Australia, but we could be seeing a lot of different um, hybrids, FEVs and EVs coming from GWM and, and its sub-brands next year, which is very cool. And it could be one of the most um, could be one of the most brands in Australia to offer the most of these electrified vehicles, which I think is very exciting and a lot of people want to buy them. And um, this kind of goes off the back um, from GWM saying, uh, announcing that it's going to be uh, by 2025, it wants 80% of Havel sales to be FEV or EVs, uh, EV only. And then by uh, 2030, um, it wants to be all electric which is very cool from a Chinese brand. And then um, I want to know, guys, as I mentioned at the start, is there a particular model that you're looking forward to in particular? Well, actually, it's really interesting because since I wrote that article, I feel like I've just been knee deep in GWM over the past few days. Uh, Since I wrote that article, uh, the Chengdu Motor Show um, started uh, over in China and GWM revealed a new ute, which we understand is coming here. Uh, and we understand that they're evaluating um, all the different powertrain options, which also includes a hybrid powertrain. So I think it's very interesting that um, GWM could potentially be beating Toyota, the hybrid market leader, to market with a hybrid body-on-frame SUV, a plug-in hybrid body-on-frame SUV, a hybrid ute. Um, This is really exciting. The company has really committed to electrification and they're offering, much like, say, Hyundai or Kia, offering a a wide range of different powertrain options, conventional hybrids, plug-in hybrids, electric vehicles. Uh, So it's it's, it's definitely the, the company to keep an eye on, uh, particularly with regards to that, that Shanghai Canon, uh, not Shanghai, Shanghai Canon uh, that was revealed over the weekend because that is actually a ute that is bigger than a GWM ute with a more luxurious interior that will offer the option of a hybrid in addition to a turbocharged petrol V6. So this is a company that just has a slew um, of interesting products coming up. I think where GWM can really succeed here is in this electrified market because um, what tr- a lot of the Chinese brands are doing now is trying to export to Europe because that's sort of like the next big thing. You know how like when you leave your town and go to the big smoke, that's what Chinese brands are doing right now. They're, they're going beyond the confines of the domestic market and looking beyond. And so with these export markets, particularly markets like Europe, obviously you need to have these really sophisticated electrified options that are fuel saving or, you know, all electric because that's just what the craze is right now. But I think where Australia fits in that is because Australian 
buyers seem to be able to take a, a chance on Chinese brands where in the European market actually might be quite a roadblock for them. Um, it means that we will probably get access to these vehicles a lot sooner than they might if you know they came from the US or from Europe. So what's really exciting is that the brand, even though uh, well, these vehicles are probably more aimed at markets like Europe where they're just trying to suss out the export potential there. It means that we, because of our proximity to them as well, means that we could actually see a lot of these things very, very soon. In terms of what I'm really keen to see, I think the GWM Aura brand is a really interesting one. People here or customers here seem to really like, you know, a throwback or a retro styled vehicle. And even though it's not actually a Fiat 500 or not actually a Volkswagen Beetle, those, um, the punk cat and the ballet cat or whatever cat they're called, um, they look really interesting. And I think if they can price them right, people will be like, you know, this looks really interesting and it stands out and it's really affordable. So why not take a chance? Because if people are buying MGZSs in droves and particularly the electric one, which is under nearly 50 grand once you get it on the road, you know, I think people, particularly EV buyers, are willing to take a chance on brands that aren't necessarily proven in the market yet. So I think there's really a big opportunity there. And even within the Havel and um, Tank brands, uh, we've already seen that the Havel H6 hybrid has done well enough to warrant them bringing in the Jolion hybrid and, you know, a plug-in hybrid would only bolster the range further. Same goes for the tank stuff. You know, like Will said, those competitors in that space aren't really diving into electrification, particularly in our market. You know, Jeep offers a plug-in hybrid Wrangler in the US, for example, and Ford has a, a plug-in hybrid Bronco and there's a plug-in hybrid Defender. But in terms of the more affordable end of the market, we haven't really seen that yet. So to, to have the, the prospect of that is really exciting. And I think it's only a win for the consumer to have more choice. Hopefully the product comes here um, with a greater claim and, you know, is engineered to a to a level that makes it really competitive against what's available currently. And our last story, the 2023 Kia Seltos is coming here later this year. Jack, what's changed for this MY? Surprisingly, a lot. A lot has changed uh, with the Seltos. It's, uh, you might have driven in a Kia Seltos before and thought, oh, yes, it's it's a car, it's an SUV, but now it's um, getting a lot of different <laughs> a lot of different changes and updates uh, for the 2023 model year that kind of makes it a bit more exciting in my eyes. Um, so this updated uh, Kia Seltos is going to be arriving in Australia in uh, Kia showrooms uh, from the fourth quarter of uh, this year. And... Um, a few of the different changes uh, involve the engine, so um, the, the the transmission in particular. So the the 1.6 liter uh, turbocharged four cylinder uh, is now going to be getting an eight speed torque converter automatic, uh, which replaces the um, outgoing. Uh, uh, dual clutch transmission and um, Kia says that uh, this change in particular is going to provide smoother overall driving experience which you might have uh, experienced before when driving a, a Kia dual clutch is it could be a little bit jerky in stop start conditions and which isn't necessarily ideal and hopefully this um, torque converter kind of smooths out that particular issue in particular. And uh, another change as well is the the two-litre naturally aspirated four-cylinder engine is going to be available across all the trim levels. Uh, recently, uh, previously wasn't available in uh, the top spec uh, models, but now it's going to be available everywhere. So if you like that better with the CVT, um, if you can get one of those instead. And um, a few different uh, things as well that are changing, as I mentioned um, uh, related to safety and um, there's going to be now there's going to be blind spot uh, monitoring rear cross traffic alert uh, intelligent speed limit assist and a lane following assist standard across the range so you're going to be covered a lot more than you were beforehand and um, other changes as well also centered around in the the rear seat so you're going to be a lot more comfortable in the back so now you get across the range uh, you get rear air vents and you also get USB-C and a full-size spare tire um, that previously wasn't standard across the range strangely um, uh, also changes in the front too I'm just mentioning changes freaking everywhere I might as well just say it's a ch- everything is different but um, at the front <laughs> um, you no longer get analog dials so you get some different form of a digital instrument cluster um, the base model S kind of gets an alarm clock style um, that's how I like to frame it but it kind of looks like an alarm clock style um, 
digital instrument cluster and with a 4.2 inch uh, technical like digital display in between those two alarm clock style displays and the rest of the range um, gets uh, dual 10.25 inch um, digital displays which is really cool to see and it looks very nice Um, I kind of use my frame of reference uh, for the for the Kia Nero I think that looks really nice um, and it'd be love I'd love to see it um, continuing across the range and um, it's also going to be the the updated Celtos is going to be the second model um, from Kia to, to have the connected services, online services, should say, um, which gives you a, um, for seven years and it gives you a whole range of different safety, security, convenience, connectivity and live services. I haven't gone into more depth than that, but that's what you get. And um, also on the outside, you might have seen if you saw the story on Car Expert website, there's different exterior looks and there's also uh, different alloy wheels and last of all, some different colours. So I like to say this is a significant update to a car that I might have overlooked in the past and now kind of stands out to me and think, oh, yeah, right, I kind of didn't notice this car before, similar in my eyes to maybe the Skoda Karok with the update. I think it looks super-duper cool, but what do you guys think? I might jump in on this one because I wrote it, So, <laughs> and I've been chasing this story for a while. So, um, you know, the the Celtos, as Jack said, is was sort of like one of those, it's, it's a good thing, but it's not particularly exciting. So that the fact that they've decided to change the transmission on the all-wheel drive models and add an, an eight-speed torque converter as well as bump the power up by a little bit is a really interesting development, and I think that it's a... Um, it now becomes one of the more powerful vehicles in its class. Uh, the additional safety equipment across the range as well as the better infotainment tech was a, a really interesting move because um, Kia Connect services, um, when you look at, say, the Nero range is only reserved for GT line models with navigation, which means that you have to pay at least, you know, 50-something thousand dollars to get these features and um, remote app-based services with your car, whereas the Celtos is going to really... Um, offer them to a much wider set of buyers given uh, a, a Seltos Sport could be in the low $30,000 bracket drive away. So um, in terms of what this means for that car, I think that, you know, it's already a very popular car that's been um, – supply constraint for a while so demand's been quite high and mainly for the high-end models but now that they're sort of bringing a lot of those features further down in the range it might even out demand across the board so we might see a lot more of the different variants appearing not just gt lines Alrighty, that is a wrap for this week's news you can find more at the car expert website jack quick thank you thanks mandy albor's fella hello hey mandy how are you I'm doing great, and I bet you were too once you stepped out of the uh, Nissan Z, the car that I think everyone's pretty excited about. Did it live up to all its hype? You know, to be honest, um, I spent a lot of time going in a straight line uh, from Melbourne out to the Mornington Peninsula and back. So I I think I was pretty impressed by that process, um, and I'm really looking forward to giving it a red-hot go around some, some sort of twisty stuff. But my first impressions were very positive. The car looks fantastic in the flesh. Not a huge fan of that front end, I've got to be honest, but I do love the rear. Uh, and the interior was uh, was pretty good. Like it's it's evidently very much based on the 370Z. In fact, the entire car is based on the 370Z. Um, so it, it does feel a little bit uh, old in some places, but given the price point at around that sort of, you know, high 70s, early 80s, I think it's a lot of car for your money now that they've put that Infiniti uh, twin turbo V6 engine into it. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So you're doing a lot of straight line driving. How was its performance? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, it's got 298 uh, kilowatts of um, power, so that's about 400 horsepower. It's a fair bit of an upgrade over the uh, 370, but the torque at 475 newton meters is a is I think the the biggest difference, and you really feel that in a straight line. You know, when you, when you sort of plant it, um, you really do get sort of pushed back into your seat. So from a drivability perspective. It feels really nice. They haven't got an official 0 to 100 that I could dig out, but um, from what I could sort of um, work out and also from some sort of rudimentary testing, it's definitely under five. I'm thinking it's sort of in that four and a half uh, mark. Um, it also has launch control for both the manual and the automatic, which is new. Um, yeah, look, it's super torquey. It is a little bit loose on the rear, i got to say, not too dissimilar through the 370, except the 370 didn't have the torque. Um, so this actually feels a little bit more loose, which is a good and bad thing. Like it's quite playful, but um, it can also get out of hand pretty quickly if you uh, if you really push it. 
Which transmission did you have and how did you find it? Uh, I drove both the six-speed manual and the nine-speed automatic. Um, okay. I would definitely buy that car in a manual, uh, mainly because it's a manual, but also you do get the rev matching. So it's really not that hard to drive fast or slow or in traffic. And the clutch is pretty nice. The, the gearbox itself is pretty nice. Um, and, it, you know, I don't find it a chore to drive in traffic at all. The nine-speed automatic was also pretty good. Um, it's not a dual clutch or doesn't feel rapid, but it also doesn't necessarily feel sluggish either. So it was a good compromise. I, I think I had a bit of a chat to, um, to Murasan, who's sort of the guy behind the project and sort of how it all came about. And there certainly wasn't much budget to do anything different outside of using existing parts um, from the Nissan parts bin. So if you kind of look at the car, that – Obviously, the chassis is a 370 chassis. The engines from Infinity and that nine-speed gearbox is from other Nissan vehicles. Um, so there's really nothing new in that car at all, except the top hat and the design. And they actually did over, I think, 400 and something design sketches before they came to that one. And the main reason that the front looks the way it does and isn't a bit longer or doesn't have some angular shapes is because of cooling. So they wanted to make it look a little bit different, but the cooling requirements for that engine were so... Um, uh, demanding, I suppose, and they wanted to make sure that it had no cooling issues, that they had to go for that really flat sort of front-end design. Oh. And, um, yeah, interesting. You know, like the, the, if you look at the concept photos from a little while ago, the, the the nose looks a bit different. It's got a bit more of a shape to it, which looks fantastic, and they showed us a couple of photos of that. But but I think ultimately, um, you know, I, I guess if the car overheats, it's kind of pointless how good it looks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Alborz, so the, the, the Z obviously, has, it hasn't been that long between drinks since we had the 370Z and now we've got the new Z Coupe, but now it enters into this segment with a couple of other, you know, modern interpretations of sports car legends in the Toyota Supra and the Ford Mustang, which sort of compete in this same price bracket as well. How do you feel the Z stacks up against those two existing models? Look, obviously there's a new Mustang like a month away from being unveiled, I think. Um, I don't know when it comes to Australia. I suppose next year is not going to come anytime soon, right? So I, I, I think comparing it to the current Mustang, I would say the Z, it would be definitely, I would buy that over the Mustang um, for sure. The Mustang platforms um, and the, I suppose the, the interior and everything is just starting to feel its age now. Not that the Z is much more modern, but at least it's fresh, definitely from the exterior as well. Compared to the Supra, the Supra is definitely a better car. I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that one. But it's also more expensive, so it's. Um, I guess you got to put it in perspective. I think the Supra's dy- dynamics and and just the way it felt on the road. Um, I, I would I would go a lot faster in a Supra than I would in a Z. Um, but uh, there's an element of rawness to the Z that the Supra doesn't have as well. Uh, it's you know the, the one thing I found really peculiar about the Z was that they have the same global tune for the entire world. Um, so the suspension did feel a little bit firm, particularly on crappy Victorian roads. Um, and the amount of road noise into the cabin was 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 quite a lot, you know, like I guess similar to the 370. Um, so there's a couple of things about it that I thought, you know, that could definitely have been improved with some minor enhancements. But again, I think the theme that we got from Tamura-san uh, was that this car would not exist had we not been able to build it to this budget. So I guess given its price point, I think um, – I think they've done a pretty reasonable job. But, yeah, the Supras are good. I can realistically 10 to 15 grand more expensive on road. So you kind of get what you pay for, I suppose. It's interesting the different approaches that the two Japanese brands have taken there as well because obviously a sports coupe is not a priority when companies are having to invest so much in EVs. So Toyota basically contracted BMW for its Supra and Nissan's just raided the parts bin. So two very different approaches. I think it would be very interesting to drive them back to back. Yeah, I'm not sure which was the better approach. Obviously, you we, you know, a lot of people – look at the Toyota and go, and it's not really a Toyota, is it? It's just a, it's just a BMW with a Toyota badge on it. Some would say even you would buy a number plate that says Jet BMW, but that's not really <laughs> um, the, the Nissan, on the other hand, is at least authentically Nissan. Everything in that car is Nissan. So, you know, it is proper Japanese uh, technology. And, and, and that Infinity engine is fantastic. And I do feel like it is relatively um, under-tuned, in the Z, so I can see people buying that car and easily getting an extra 100 horsepower out of it without too much work. And I think that's where that car is going to be quite different through a 370 because the 370 not being a naturally aspirated engine, you had to do a lot more work to get power out of it and people didn't really do it as a platform. But with this being a twin turbo setup to start with, even 
Tamura-san was saying that this car was kind of built to tune without saying it was built to tune, obviously, because he can't say that officially. But um, he said that he expects a lot of people to get that engine and easily be able to get more power out of it. And that's certainly the case with that I've seen people do overseas with the Infinity um, that that car originally, uh, that engine originally came from. So it's pretty exciting. So they've sold about 1,200 of them, or at least they've got deposits for about 1,200 of them. Um, there is also that Proto, a limited edition one that's got the slightly different exterior that looks more like the prototype. Um, they're all gone. Um, they won't say how many are coming to Australia because they don't know the final number, but they do know that they're already over the cap that we're going to get. Um, so they're all gone. Um, but the standard one, uh, yeah, 70% of sales so far have been manual, uh, which is pretty remarkable for Australia. Yay, so, go the manual. Yeah, so I think that's pretty – I expect that to sort of die down as the vehicle gets older and sort of go around sort of that 40 to 50%. But um, I would definitely buy it as a manual, uh, but I also wouldn't be disappointed in automatic either. Hmm. Um, did the exhaust notes sound like the actual Infinity model it came out of and did it vary through all of the driving modes? I, it just it just didn't sound that good in general. I um, I don't really know how else to put it. It's hard to – it's hard to say anything else. It just it just has a very monotone, you know, vacuum cleaner style sound to it. That it doesn't have a pitch. It doesn't have a doesn't have anything that gets you excited inside or out, to be honest. And uh, I think that's probably again something that the tuners will be able to fix because uh, that car's got to meet a lot of uh, regulations now coming out in this at this time. But no, there, there's nothing in it. It doesn't sound nearly as good as a Supra, right? Like Supra's got that nice BMW engine note to it, but. Um, yeah, this has got nothing, in my opinion. Mm. Well, aside from the exhaust and the engine, what would you do to it to make make it your own, Boz? Um, I'd change the wheels. Uh, I, you know, the one thing I didn't like about the design, I felt like the arches could have been a little bit more aggressive. Like it, it just, it, it's very soft. And I know the reason for that is because they're probably going to do a Nismo version and it's going to be, you know, with a little wing and slightly more bolstered uh, side arches and things like that. So I, I can sort of understand the reasoning around some of their decisions, but I'd change the wheels um, for sure, 100%. Um, I'd love to put a front lip on it just because the front doesn't work for me. Mm. Um, uh, outside of that, it's actually a really good-looking car. I got a lot of looks driving it around, I can tell you. People started following me and giving me the thumbs up, which is not usual in a Nissan. Um, <laughs> so that was pretty exciting. Nice X-Trail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Um, you know, the other thing I got out of that event was talking to Tamura San about the next-generation GTR. That car is still so far away. So, so far away. It's unlikely we're going to see it for at least three to four years. Wow. Did he give you any more hints as to what it's going to be like? Yes, it's going to be a hybrid for sure. So um, he wouldn't say much except that it wouldn't exist if it wasn't hybrid. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, any more questions <laughs> from you guys? Tell us what you really think, Contain man. your excitement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, if you'd like to know more, you can search nissanz at carexpert.com.au. Thank you, Ubbles. Thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Hello, Mike Costello. Hello, Mandy Turner. You have been behind the wheel of the 2023 Skoda Um, What's changed for well, next year's model, I should say? Yeah, so the Kuroc is really interesting. It's Definitely in contention as one of the most underappreciated cars on sale, if not the most underappreciated. I mean, Skoda in general goes under the radar a bit, and the Karok is probably one of its least understood cars, mostly because it's just never really had supply. Um, and it's upped, it's launched the previous versions in a kind of staggered formation that never allowed it to really promote the car in the way it wanted to. But when you consider that it competes against things like Kia, Sportage, Hyundai Tucson, Toyota RAV4, etc., etc., it's obviously a hugely important vehicle for the brand. Um, the updates are relatively minor in scope, some stylistic changes, some improvements to the tech inside, but it's really more that it's a chance for Skoda to again talk about this car, which um, comes in two variants. There is a more practical value-focused offering at the bottom of the range, and there is a less practical but more sporty and luxuriously equipped version at the top of the range. Kind of a nice bookended thing going on. And, yeah, it was good to get a bit of a reminder. Has there been a, also a change in price as well? <laughs> of course there has. It's 2022. <laughs> Nothing comes cheap anymore. So the Karok style 42.990 drive away. Skoda doesn't talk RRP. It talks drive away nationally. 42.990 on the road. The Karok Sportline, which is the more upmarket version, bigger engine, 49.990 drive away. So um, just to give that a bit of context, that means – 
you're talking a sort of low to mid-grade CX-5 going up against the style and a uh, CX-5 GT SP going up against the sport line. So just to contextualise it there, that's three grand more than the 2022 models, although Skoda does say that it put in more than three grand worth of new features on each car. I won't bore you with the details. It's all in the written review, but there is definitely some more features there. Got to be careful when you talk value, though, because Skoda is a massive fan of options particularly options packages. Um, The way that it gets its price looking relatively good is that it often bundles some of the more desirable features into extra cost options packs. So if you go to town on a Karok style, the base model, you can go from 42,990 drive away to 58 drive away if you add every option that's available to you. And if you add every option that's available to you on a Karok Sport line, that takes it from 49,990 through to 61,430. So If you're not careful with those options boxes, you're paying a lot more than you think you are. And Skoda tends to bring in cars that have options fitted to them. So if you want a vehicle that's in stock, it's probably going to be an optioned one rather than the base price one that you might see at first. Mm. Um, Let's talk the the Sportline variant. How did you find the drivetrain in that? Oh, so it's a really underappreciated little engine, this one. The Sportline's definitely trying to be the more performance-oriented grade. It's not a full-on, you know, Tiguan R style hot SUV, but 140 kilowatts and 320 newton meters from a two liter turbo with an on-demand all-wheel drive system and a DSG dual clutch gearbox is pretty good. Seven seconds to 100. Um, that's what hot hatches were doing only one or two generations ago. So mm. it's pretty punchy. Really, really. One, one of the best Volkswagen Group drivetrains kicking around, I think, is that 140 TSI that's used in a few other models, including the Skoda Octavia. Plenty of punch, plenty of refinement, lots of low down torque, really good on fuel, although it does require the more premium juice. And um, pretty good dynamics overall. It, it's got various drive modes that you can flick through like most of these Volkswagens do. And in terms of refinement, and handling against cornering loads. It's obviously not quite as good as a Golf GTI or a proper hot hatch, but it's certainly one of those SUVs that's capable of um, letting you have a little bit of fun. So looking at the Karok, Mike, is it worth stepping up to the sport line or would you still be satisfied going for the base model? Yeah, so the base model, I'll just quick, very quickly talk you through the differences. The first difference is that it's got a smaller engine. So a 1.4 litre turbo, 110 kilowatts, 250 newton metres, not a huge amount of oomph. That being said, the saving grace is all that torque is available really down low in the rev band at 1500 RPM. So it does feel quite muscular. No dual clutch gearbox. It has an eight-speed torque converter, a bit like the new Golf 8 does. So nice smooth shifts right off the line. It doesn't have any of those moments of hesitation, I should say, that you get with a DSG. Slightly better on fuel, but 9.2 seconds to 100. So definitely slower. Front wheel drive only as well. But the front-wheel drive really unlocks something great in the style because it gives you Varioflex secondary seats. What the hell does that mean, you ask? It's a lot like what the old Skoda Yeti used to offer. In other words, the three seats in the second row can be folded, tumbled, tilted, put into all sorts of configurations, but they can also be removed entirely if you have a shed to store them in, um, <laughs> which the all-wheel drive with this big drive shaft running down the car can't accommodate. So if you are after the uh, most practical offering in the range, and indeed one of the most practical medium SUVs of any sort, the uh, the Kerox style definitely ticks some boxes in that regard. What about the technology packed into the Kerox? Is it any good? Yeah, so uh, not bad. I mean, standard is an eight-inch touchscreen, digital instruments, pretty contemporary stuff. Um, that being said, if you want to get the full 9.2-inch touchscreen with gesture control, you've got to opt for an options package that also includes things like matrix LED headlights at base level, um, and that goes also for the Sportline, which does have the matrix LEDs but doesn't have the big screen. So if you want the, the really latest and greatest in tech, You've got to pay extra, but they all come with wireless phone mirroring, wireless charging, a decent sound system. In terms of tech, the other thing I'll flag is that while autonomous braking comes standard, a lot of other driver assist features are not standard. You've got to pay extra for things like lane assist, surround view camera, traffic jam assist, or emergency assist. And in this day and age where, you know, driver assist features are pretty much a non-negotiable, having to pay extra for all that stuff, I think, is a pretty poor effort from Skoda's product planners. Wongy? 
Um, so, Mike, the the Karak is an interesting car because in its, in its current generation, started in the very low 30s, um, and now it's crept up mm-hmm. into the low to mid 40s driveway as a starting point. With this new positioning, obviously keeping the ever increasing prices of new vehicles across the board aside, do you feel that the Karak can justify its its price positioning um, with its new feature set as well as how the game has moved on since it came to Australia a few years ago? Um, To be honest with you, it's definitely taken a hit. Uh, I don't think it's bad value. I don't think it's expensive or overpriced. It lines up pretty well against that CX-5 that I mentioned earlier, but it's no longer the bargain euro that it used to be. Um, That doesn't mean that it's a complete rip-off. I think $49,990 drive away for a Sportline is a pretty appealing proposition, although, like I said (laughs) earlier on, I'd be sorely tempted by all the options that I'd be missing out on. Um, But if you can go without some of those some of those more tasty high-end features, the price probably stacks up, but certainly compared to what it was, uh, not as good. One thing it does have in its favour is running costs. So as well as a five-year unlimited kilometre warranty, you can also prepay for your servicing and plans, either 1550 for five years or 75,000 Ks or, or 2400 for seven years or 105,000 Ks. And that latter plan also bumps your warranty up to seven years. Skoda is very keen to remind people that European cars don't necessarily have to cost an arm and a leg to, to maintain and Volkswagen Group products are notorious for being pretty expensive to keep on the road. So on that front, it definitely makes up some ground. But yeah, the days of Skoda being an absolute bargain brand are probably behind it, I think. These days, they talk more about value than they do about price. Hmm. All right, you've given the 2023 Skoda Karok an 8.2 Car Expert rating and that review is at the website now. Thank you, Mike Costello. Always good to talk to you guys. Hey, Joe, you're off to a Volkswagen launch tomorrow. What are you doing? Uh, so I'm heading to Canberra to drive the facelifted Volkswagen T-Roc range, which also includes the new T-Roc R, which is really, really exciting. That's a car that's been off the table for our market for a, a really long time. And having stepped out of the Cooper Formento myself and I was also driving things like the Audi SQ2 and the Hyundai Kona N, it'll be a really interesting um, assessment process for me to sort of see where it sits in the market. Um, so that'll be really cool. Where are you going for that? Uh, Canberra. Oh, nice. Fantastic. Yeah. And um, where else is the rest of the team off to? Well, it's actually quite a big week of launches for the entire Car Expert team. So Mike Costello is about to head over to Utah in um, and go to Salt Lake City to drive the new Toyota GR Corolla and the new Supra Manual, which is an awesome, awesome event. I can already see him coming back with nothing but smiles and cool stories to tell. Um, Will and Scott Colley are going to head to, uh, well, Will's already in Queensland, but Scott will be flying yeah. to Queensland to meet Will and drive the the new Ford Ranger Raptor and the Everest. Um, and Croft is going to be attending a Genesis event in Sydney, which will showcase their new electrified models, as well as going to join the mini team on an electric drive experience as well. So plenty are going on this week only poor jack and paul are the ones at home not actually going on any events this week oh, can't complain he just got to go to germany and drive on the autobahn all right he, oh, can, he can have a week off travel also it's oh, well. as much as i love traveling it is also nice to have an event in have my own break. city for once so that's cool yep yep totally get that um and what cars have we got in the garage will all right so this week we have got a lexus nx 350h f sport uh, all-wheel drive down in Melbourne. Um, we've also got the new Nissan Z in, uh, with the manual transmission. Uh, Subaru XV, 2-litre uh, IS, uh, Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid Exceed Tourer. Uh, and up here in Brisbane, we've got a Hyundai Kona Electric Highlander Extended Range, and we have got a Kia Nero Hybrid S with halogen headlights. And I'm showing you right now an actual physical key that you stick into an actual physical ignition. Wow. So, yeah, that was a... Welcome back to the noughties. Yes, I know, right? Podcast at au is our email address if you have any feedback for us or any questions that we can we can help you with. Uh, William Stopford and James Wong, thank you. Thanks, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy.